I look to the scoreboard to say, yeah, you've done a good time. You've, you've won the race. Therefore, you are a good person. Therefore, you are a worthy person. So my athletic identity, Lizzie the swimmer, and my personal identity as the human being were inextricably linked at that point. And therefore, I was entirely defined by my successes and failures. People kind of think that confidence is like an absence of self-doubt. But I think that confidence is just like acceptance and trust that you you're already enough without external feedback that you're enough. And I didn't have the skills to do that at that point. I didn't have the skills to say I judge myself on my values and my impact on other people rather than how fast I can swim in a swimming pool. Well, hello there and welcome to the Supporting Champions podcast with me, Steve Ingham. Now, an interesting concept that came up in episode 44 with world champion Coxman and executive at Google, Neil Shigani, was the differences between elite sports and business. And Neil spoke about the spikes in performance for sports, really peaking for that big moment. But in business, there's a much greater emphasis on sustaining performance over longer periods of time. And within that, people will need to think about and delivering a sustainable performance in business and in life, full of ups and downs, new ideas, new threats, changes. And for nearly everybody, they will probably move on from one job to the next. Now, for an elite athlete, the challenge of change is even more stark. What comes with the highs are sometimes the lows or for some just getting back on with it. But eventually, an elite athlete will need to step down from the pursuit of the highest achievements. And this podcast is about exploring such dynamics with people who have been there and done it, people who have supported others to succeed or have explored performance concepts in real depth. And if you'd like to support the podcast, then if you can take two minutes of your valuable time to leave an honest review on iTunes, then that would be amazing. So the dynamic of retirement, transitions and change for athletes is rightly receiving much greater attention as athletes speak up and openly about their experiences, none more so than this episode's guest, Lizzie Simmons. Former international backstroker, two-time Olympian and European champion, and since retirement in 2018, Lizzie has taken upon herself to write and speak about her experiences and mentor others. Her blog, her speeches are some of the most candid, open articulations of what it feels like to go through retirement, how she's responded, the noise in her head, the loss of identity, the polarised reactions of excitement, but being daunted and many other topics. And Lizzie's communications are not some sort of woe is me plea for attention. These are balanced, considerate, heartfelt, humble and honest accounts that have rightly been lauded for expressing what many feel but have found too overwhelming or chaotic to be able to capture. Not everybody can do what Lizzie has done, but I think that anybody experiencing a change can certainly benefit from what Lizzie has given a voice to. This was such an engaging discussion that I took so much from, and I hope you do too. What a delight. Welcome to the podcast, Lizzie. Thank you for having me. Now, um, you've just been out for a bike ride before you came over. Uh, a have. swimmer having a bike ride. It, you're not heading off for a triathlon, are you? 
absolutely not. After about 15 years of being submerged in water, uh, my knees are barely working. So running is not for me just yet. I'm trying to learn how to run. Um, but at the moment, my main for- form of exercise is cycling. And I just enjoy kind of being out and about, which again is probably a bit of a, a knee-jerk reaction from coming from a world where I just follow a black line up and down the bottom of a pool. So nice to get out into the countryside. Although I did go out the other day and it started hailing horizontally into my face, which was less enjoyable. <laughs> I realised I'd made a terrible, terrible mistake. <laughs> not so, checking the weather so you've hurt so your knees and so is that hyperextension flapping, yes dolphin yeah thing? yeah so i have a lot of hypermobility anyway um which probably was an advantage in the water because i had a, a you know a bigger range of movement than most normal joints um but it means i have to be very very careful on land because i have less control at the extremes shall we say um and tend to injure myself uh, quite um easily i guess in in the gym or i'm running and things so you're a cycling convert so um you're out and about finding water splashing in your face from in, in a different way um so you've you've just switched is this something you're trying to pursue or you're you're starting to to cycle more or is this just an outlet for you um a bit of an outlet really um i was quite excited when i decided to stop competing and st- stop swimming i was quite excited to not do very much exercise i was kind of thinking i've done my quota after competing <laughs> at that level for so many years and doing you know 60 kilometers a week for the past i don't know 15 years basically i worked out the other day that i'd swum 2.2 million meters every year for the last 14 years which I wasn't quite sure whether to be impressed by that or absolutely horrified um so I kind of felt like I'd I'd really done my my quota of training um and I was quite looking forward to to not having to go and and train every day or go out and exercise every day but actually for me that was a you know I I realized very quickly that I found my headspace and my mental balance and you know my way of processing thoughts and emotions through movement and I had done my entire life and it was going to be really problematic for me not to continue doing that so although I'm still you know at the the novelty stage of not having to go to the pool every day I still do try and get out and do something Mm, yeah that's that's interesting and 2.2 million meters of that's to the moon it's a a long it's a long way of swimming (laughs) I don't think it's in the moon but it's a long way it's a long way and okay so that's interesting in itself that you're uh, that you have that either as something that that is an outlet for you for your mind, but also that that gives you something physical to to connect with, as well as uh, as well as probably something different. You're connecting with your environment. You're out and about, um, as opposed to head down. Yeah, definitely, and I think that's part of the reason why. I enjoy cycling and, and hopefully at some point we'll get a, a bit more into into running as well. Um, it just is a different environment. It's nice to to go somewhere, you know, instead of just going there and back and there and back and there and back for, for two hours. So I enjoy planning the route. I enjoy going and, you know, riding up a new hill that I've never seen before um, and, and kind of, you know, balancing the weather and trying to figure out how to learn new skills and stuff. So mainly road cycling, but started doing a little bit of mountain biking as well, which is one of those where... It, it's it's so much fun and there's that added element of it's slightly dangerous and slightly risky as well that um you don't really feel like you're exercising you kind of get back and you're exhausted but you've just had a really good time and it kind of for me it, it 
exercise for so long has been my job, my profession. Um, and actually it's quite nice to go back to those feelings of when you were a kid and exercising and you were kind of messing around on bikes and, you know, riding through the, the trees and, um, kind of messing around with your friends kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it's nice to kind of go back into that mindset, I guess, away from it being, this is my job. This is my profession. Mm. All right. So, um, quite a predictable question next. Let's get this one out of the way. Tell me about this tweet that, that nearly everybody would have, Uh, (laughs) 200,000 likes to it. So um, it it was just brilliant. Tell me, tell us about it. So if anyone's left on earth that hasn't heard about it, then uh, your pinned tweet. Yes. Um, So, (laughs) so just before I retired, the last competition I did was the Commonwealth Games. Um, And a few weeks before then, I was living in Edinburgh, training up in Edinburgh. um, But my boyfriend, my other half, was down in in Bristol. So we were doing a little bit of the long distance thing. Every kind of other weekend, one of us would go to the other one. So we'd we'd get a flight down or up um, for him. And it sometimes meant that I would move or shift around one of my sessions in order to make a flight. So the the context is is largely irrelevant, but basically I was going to miss a training session with my squad, with my normal training squad in Edinburgh. Um, and my coach said, no problem. Um, it's just going to be a steady session. So I'll give you the session on a piece of paper and um, just go into the public lanes and do it and then head off to the airport, go and catch your flight. Um, so I was in the, in the public lanes. There was hardly anybody in the pool. It was on a Friday afternoon, I think. And then I was off to the airport um, and I was plodding along, kind of minding my own business just just doing the session largely daydreaming to be honest um and I I stopped in between one of the reps and um a a little old lady in the medium lane leant over the lane rope and she said uh you you know you're you're really good at swimming and I kind of felt so I felt slightly embarrassed and I was kind of like oh thank like thank you um and she was like no no seriously um you should go and do a trial with the local club um and I was like oh my god this is the most embarrassing thing ever and I said like in the most awkward kind of very British way I was like oh I've I've actually been to two Olympics and her response was one of the best things I've ever heard in my entire life because she went me too which ones did you manage to get tickets for (laughs) Um, obviously kind of thinking that I'd been to support at the Olympics. And we, we then had a hilarious little conversation when I, she realized that I'd actually competed at the games and she was really apologetic. Um, and I was like, no, like, you know, it's absolutely no problem at all. No, people don't recognize, I'm not a recognizable kind of face unless you're very much immersed in the swimming world. Um, but it was just a, a hilarious and very British, very awkward misunderstanding. Um, and I decided to relate this experience um, and recall it back on Twitter later on that afternoon or maybe even the next day, actually. Um, and I, I, I put it on Twitter and it just started to go a little bit mental and people were very, very tickled. Like I had been, people were very tickled by the story. Um, and lots of people started coming back and saying, you know, this was hilarious. We we told our mum and dad, we told our swimming coach all this and, and it was all very amusing. Um, and then it started to get a little bit out of hand and I kind of checked back in a couple of hours later and it was at 60,000 likes or something like that. But still the majority of people were being very nice about it and, and it also kind of seen the humour in it. Um, and then, Piers Morgan got hold of it somehow oh. and he uh retweeted it and which you know fair, fair enough um but I think lots of his followers are uh from America 
Um, and it went very, very quickly from being a very um, kind of amusing little anecdote, very innocuous, to basically being trolled horrendously. Oh, no. um, I and I had this. hundreds and hundreds of. So it it, it, went, it ended up on ESPN's um, kind of their like flagship, their Saturday morning news feed on Twitter and Instagram, um, but. It seemed like, I don't know whether it was a cultural or humour divide between Brits and Americans, but the way that lots of people read it was that I'd been really arrogant with this lady and so, and, and kind of gone, um, actually, I've been to two Olympics. So really kind of like, oh, you should recognise who I am. And it's a disgrace that you don't know that kind of thing, which it wasn't, you know, at all. Nobody nobody recognises me. So um, so they just started started being really, really horrible. Um, and I was kind of reading through them and I just felt like I needed to justify myself and go back to these people and say, no, that, was, that wasn't how it was at all. Um, and then A, I realised I couldn't keep up with the the volume of things that was coming in against me. Um, and B, I realised it, it wasn't really worth it. These were very much the kind of um, anonymous keyboard warriors just after kind of picking a fight. Um, lots, of, lots of them just shouting very, very sexist things you know no one cares about olympic sport no one cares about women's sport we don't know who you are so why would she know who you are people telling me to get back in the kitchen where i belong um <laughs> people saying that they reckon i swim i'll swim good in their in their sink when i'm washing their dishes and <laughs> things like that um but it was you know it and within a couple of days i had bbc news on the phone and all sorts of media outlets in the uk saying can we can we interview you about this and it was just hilarious I guess the um the the volume that that kind of came in off the back of this and it, it was a very stark representation of the power of the internet I guess and how quickly something that you post online can can go viral and under that so under those circumstances um so yeah it was it was I, I recall it with fondness and I often talk about it with, with kids um, and just in terms of absolutely social media is an incredible tool, but it's also can be can be dangerous as well in that sense. And, and you're not really posting things, you're publishing things um, and it's very hard to, to take it back or to understand exactly which context everybody's going to read that in. So, um, yeah, a lesson, a lesson learned. It was slightly ironic because it was just before the Commonwealth Games and that week we actually received some media advice from Team England about social media and they said basically just you know stay under the radar don't say anything risky or anything like that and I sent my mum the, uh, a screenshot of the advice that we've been sent over and she just texted me back and she was like darling I think the horse has bolted <laughs> I think we've gone far beyond that it was racking up nearly you know 200,000 likes and it was very much in the, in the media eye and yeah not much I could do about it by that point but um wow. yeah it was a it was an amusing story I, I was asking you the question because I equally and you got you got exactly the right word there was tickled by it and looking now here at the tweet in front of me 800 comments and I'd, I'd looked at some of the comments which in the initial phase were just oh that's brilliant fantastic that's hilarious uh, how yeah. quirky I didn't realize that the second kickback of ultimately what is as you say, a different interpretation or an ambiguity yeah. about something that is wholly innocent yeah. in just sharing. This is a fun yeah, moment. Yeah. I felt awkward. I felt humble, but you, yeah. you can't convey that. In yeah, no, no. And my, you know, my sense of humour is is very kind of self-deprecating and it is a bit kind of sarcastic and things like that. But people even had, 
you know, they, they, I put an emoji in the tweet and they read the emoji with different contexts. So some felt like that was an, an arrogant emoji that I was, that I was kind of outraged by this old lady and that I was by, put, by putting it on Twitter, I was ridiculing her. <laughs> I, you know, this was just a, we had a giggle together. I ended up giving a front crawl technique tips after we'd had this, this, um, kind of, you know, a bit of a misunderstanding between us. So from my perspective and, and luckily from most of the people on there, it, it was a very innocuous story. And I did, I did kind of, um, put out a few, a few tweets afterwards, just saying some of the things that had come in off the back of it and kind of not apologizing for the misunderstanding, but just saying, you know, almost justifying that it, it hadn't ever been intended to be like that. And that's definitely not what the situation was. Um, and, and again, you know, lots of lovely people jumped to my defense and said, no, we didn't read it like that. We were, we were also tickled, as you said. So, um, yeah, it was a, an interesting, interesting one, as I said, with the understanding the power of the internet, I guess. Piers Morgan made me go viral. Still feel a bit dirty saying it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A bad virus. Yeah. Um, okay. And, and that's uh, without getting distracted into sort of the world of social media, but that seems to have a similar sort of supportive effect of, of the support that you're offering to someone like Becky Adlington recently about, you know, that there might be one person that, that criticizes you or says something nasty, but they're anonymous. There are thousands of people that admire you as she was a role model for you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it's, it's kind of heartbreaking to see that and see the effect that it can have on people. And I think, you know, I, I only experienced it for a very short amount of time, but it still feels, you know, awful for, to have people just saying horrible things about you that aren't justified at all, um, aren't justified, aren't relevant. Um, and, uh, you know, people, as I said, hiding behind hiding behind keyboards. Um, and I think, you know, we absolutely probably do need to do more to protect young athletes who come into the limelight um, and, and may experience some some of this because it's it you do need to be wary around things like big competitions people will say oh that was you know that was a rubbish race or whatever or we're disappointed mm-hmm. in you people don't mind putting that on social media so um there's there's definitely a kind of word of caution about it i heard a, a good way of of looking at it the other day where they kind of talking about somebody writing some you know basically um, looking at a message from a troll and then the question to the person that put out the the tweet or the instagram post was you know when was the last time that you've written something like that on somebody's blog post or somebody's tweet you know where you've just absolutely slammed them it's anonymous you've just written horrible things they say I've, I've never you know I've never done it and it's that's that's kind of the point like these people aren't you they're very they're very different from you and actually you know you'll never be able to persuade they're they're looking for an argument they're looking for a fight so um kind of understanding that there will always be those people in the world and actually it's not your job to persuade them around to your point of view it's your job to protect yourself from that i guess Mm. and and just in sharing that insight about that particular tweet but it it seems to encapsulate what i've always picked up from not knowing you personally um but what I've picked up from what I've I've seen or the post-race interviews and so on. And I, I remember it starkly from um, London 2012 in the sense that there were thousands of, of people winning medals um, and thousands of people being uh, interviewed afterwards. I really remember your interview because it was open, it was honest, it was engaging, as opposed to I think a lot of people will, for perhaps good reason, 
just sit behind just platitudes and just give it straight back because they don't want to rock the boat or for it to be misinterpreted. And that, that openness and engagement seems to be almost what you've now become known for in <laughs> terms of what you're now communicating about what you're experiencing. Yeah, I think I think now kind of reflecting back on my career, maybe just my personality, but being open, being honest, being engaging are definitely my my values as a person. And I, I always felt like it, it was always a balance and you, you know, you couldn't always say exactly what you thought about certain situations, but I also um, was never one that wanted to just follow a script with that kind of thing. And I actually found often if we, if we did go through media training where they said, yeah, if you get, if you get asked this question, then start your answer off with this and only ever talk about your own race and, you know, just follow these guidelines. And, you know, that's, that's fine for some athletes, but for me, I, I was, you know, I'm a, I'm a person, I've got opinions, I've got thoughts and, and I want to express that um, in, in the media and elsewhere. So it was it was always something that I was conscious of, I guess. Um, and as you say, it's something that I've hopefully taken into my yeah life in the in the real world beyond beyond the sporting sphere. And so your I've come to know your work around the, the blogs that have been so well recognised about. Uh, the experiences you've had in retirement and transition. Um, forgive me, I don't know whether you were blogging before that, actually. You weren't. Okay, so it was a bit of a spur for communicating that. So how how has retirement been? <laughs> um, it's been challenging and incredibly exciting in probably equal measures. Um, I think there have been a number of challenges, some of, the, some of which... I was aware of through chatting to other athletes and through, I guess, preparing a bit myself and working with um, performance lifestyle advisors within the sport um, and other challenges that I wasn't aware of and may have been personal to me. Um, and then it's been exciting, yeah, in, in equal measures, I guess. So um, I think when I when I stopped, I felt like I was on a big holiday. Um, I'd I'd not had a Saturday off for. 12 years I'd not I'd never had a bank holiday um so even those tiny little things of being a real person being a normal person seemed very exciting and I did feel like I was kind of on holiday and um, I retired in 2018 in kind of May time um, and we went into if you remember a glorious British summer of weather we had really really good weather so I was out riding my bike over the summer um and I'd, I'd missed summer meets before so I didn't really at that point feel like I wasn't still in that world. I just felt like I was having a big break um, and I felt like I needed it. And it, it, to be honest, it felt pretty great. Um, and then I think September came around. So this was probably, you know, I'd been out for maybe four months by this point. Um, and it was the first time ever that I'd not had training to go back into. I'd not had the beginning of season plan. I'd not had a meeting with a coach to say, this is what the season looks like. This is what our uh, macro cycles look like. This is what our training camps are going to be. These are when the competitions are in the season. And suddenly I felt incredibly lonely and incredibly lost. Um, and I didn't really have a purpose. I didn't really have a direction. Um, I felt that all too familiar and all too commonly cited identity loss that that athletes struggle with when they when they come out of sport um and I probably I, I don't know if I went into months of depression but I was definitely in a, in a difficult place mentally for a few months um it was compounded by the fact that 
I was actually doing quite a few cool things and things on the surface seemed to be going rather well. Um, so I, I went for a couple of kind of um, consultancy kind of roles where I, you know, nailed it and got the job kind of thing. Um, I was starting to branch out into different industries and starting to challenge myself with different things. So when people asked me and said, you know, how, how's it going? What, what have you been up to? I would reel off all these cool things and they go, yeah, you're, you're nailing it. You're nailing transition. Um, so there was this big disconnect because I then felt incredibly guilty and incredibly, um, like I, I didn't have the right to say, actually, I'm really miserable and I'm really struggling. Um, so it was kind of very much kept under the surface, I think for a few months. And I, I struggled to be honest with anybody really about it. Um, and I think, you know, I, I lots of athletes go through that and it, I think it's you know it's very normal to go through that um but actually the the big kind of breakthrough for me was I started working with with a counselor a little bit but I mainly just started being honest with people and I started to honestly answer their questions of how are you doing um and it was kind of like I'm proud of this this stuff that I'm doing and and I'm enjoying xyz but I'm actually finding this this really difficult and there are bits that I'm really missing from sport. Um, I'm not sure what the future holds and I, I don't feel like I have, you know, enough security in my, in my plans. Um, I've, I'm kind of struggling with that balance of autonomy and, and support. So maybe not quite getting that right either. Um, and I just I just felt very kind of lost. Um, but as soon as I started to open up to people, um, that started to kind of, I guess, lift the weight a little bit for me. Um, and I, I think another tricky thing was in in sport when you have challenges, and there are hundreds of challenges for athletes in sport. But usually, when you have challenges and you you face a challenge with a with a coach, or you um, take a challenge to a um, another teammate, or you're working through a challenge with you know a partner or a family member outside of sport, you're saying, "I'm struggling with this. Can you give me some support here?" There's usually a fairly logical answer to it um well this isn't quite right so we need to work with this person we need to go and have a conversation with them and then we can hopefully put it right for you so there's usually a fairly logical set of steps to resolve an issue within sport and it's not always the decisions aren't always easy to make um but but the steps are usually fairly logical um and i think for transition because there's this huge range of emotions and that they don't always make sense. Um, so it's very difficult to go to somebody and say, hey, I'm actually having a bit of a crap time and I need some support, but I don't know what you can do. I don't know how you can help me. And I just, you know, I just need somebody to talk to kind of thing. But that's quite an odd coming from a world where there often is a logical way to go about something and you might need guidance and you might need support with that to suddenly saying, I just don't feel right. And I don't know why, and I don't know how to process it, and I don't know what you can do to help. It's quite a, it's quite an odd place to be with your support network, um, because they don't get a manual on how to help you tr- through transition either. Um, partners, family members, those people who've been with you through the thick and thin within sport, they don't, you know, they don't have a, a right or wrong way to go about this either. So um, I think it was a bit of a everybody was navigating unknown waters for a little bit. Um, but but that was so that was at the end of kind of 2018. Um, I think it also it also didn't help that it was the winter, which makes me understand how privileged I was 
in sport to be going away and going on training camps and things like that because it was the first January in about 10 years that I was in the UK and it was cold and it was oh, dark no. and it was miserable <laughs> and I was like oh my god people people actually go through a winter and well what's, this is crazy um uh, but it, you know I'd, I'd look on social media and my peers from sport would be out in South Africa or out in Australia and I'd be kind of very much looking at the things that I was missing out on um and I, I think it I, I got a lot of help from the people around me which which obviously you know was was a massive influence in in kind of coming out of that phase but I also started to realize that I was um I think I was unfairly comparing the best bits of sport. So the Olympic Games, the team, the feeling when you're winning medals and breaking records to the worst bits of retirement, Mm. you know, sitting at home trying to get through some emails at 8.30 on a Tuesday morning when it's hailing outside. Um, And that's an unfair comparison for anyone to make because there are plenty of times in sport that I was miserable as well. So um, I think... I I had to have a bit of a word with myself on kind of shifting my mindset away from this is these are all the things that you're missing out on and a bit more towards these are all the opportunities that you have now mm. um and actually when I started doing that and it didn't you know it didn't happen straight away but I started to feel excited about the future which I'd not had until that point it was all lost 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 about what I'd stepped away from um so so yeah I I think the last year has been a bit of a a journey of self-discovery of saying yes to a lot of things of trying new things um and 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 understanding that that the world isn't like sport in every way there isn't an olympics of life I there isn't a way to prove myself and get a go and get a bronze medal or a silver medal and go one up on what I did in London it's it's a different set of challenges um and i think you know you get to decide how you win at life um which is a an exciting thought wow okay there's there's loads that was a long answer to a very brief question no it's amazing to hear you describe it in in that sense it almost felt like i was with you and so if i just recap there that 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 sense of you thinking right I've now I can now explore lots of different things and people want to hear what from me and and seek out my thoughts and advice but equally you lack the stability and the connection with team members and the order and the structure that that you had and it sounds as though almost imagine you saying right well there's something not quite right with my turn or my start and a team of specialists come in and solve that for you and you can at least feel like you've got agency and you're starting to uh, gather momentum you're dealing with it yeah uh, as opposed to whether you get it right or not it's independent um okay so can i can i ask you to unpack that a little bit further in terms of what had you done before you had announced your retirement Uh, i presume there was a period of time where you're thinking i'm going to retire yeah um what had you done in preparation so I think, so I, I started thinking about retiring when I didn't make the Rio Olympics. So um, I didn't qualify for Rio. It was a bit of a, a rubbish, I've been to the previous two Olympics, it was a bit of a rubbish summer to kind of sit at home and watch those Olympics on TV. And I considered retiring post those games, but I realized that if I stopped there and I was in a very kind of negative place with the sport, um, I was feeling the kind of, 
pressures of of elite sport of you know having to hit targets having to get back on funding cycles having to um you know qualify for teams and those kind of things and I realized that if I stopped then I I think my reflection back on what had been an incredible career would have been kind of a, a bit bitter and a bit resentful because I'd not made those final games and I didn't really finish on my terms I felt a bit stuck in the system um and so I was determined to continue um and go and I guess finish on my terms um and I went moved up to Edinburgh uh worked with an Australian coach up in um up at the University of Edinburgh which was a great program it was a and I I got back to swimming for the right reasons for me which was because I loved it because I loved the challenge because I love the interactions at training with other people I love the interaction with the coach um you know, I was doing it for all the right reasons. So I continued for another, I guess I had almost two years, 18 months to two years um, after those Rio Olympic Games where I knew that retirement was on the horizon for me. Um, but I, I, you know, I wanted to be in the right place and I wanted it to be on my terms and, and me calling the shots with it. Um, so so I, was, I was in a good place with training um, and it was definitely the right choice for me to have made to finish off my career and actually you know, I, I did finish in a, in a good space and really kind of reflecting back on what had been a, 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 an amazing career and, and feeling very proud of that. Um, but I did have those 18 months where it was definitely in the back of my mind. Um, and I think for me, I, I started I started trying to explore who I was beyond swimming. Um, and that basically for me looked like a lot of reading um, a lot of kind of figuring out what else I felt like I was passionate about, but it was still quite hard to do when you're still in that kind of environment. Um, and then the other thing I was trying to do was just chat to as many people as possible who had come out of sport, um, which was, I guess, risky in a sense, because everybody has struggles when they come out. And there aren't many people who can reflect back honestly and say, oh yeah, I just, you know, I just nailed it. And it was, it was all smooth and it was all great. And I just had positive emotions about it. Most people say, actually, I did have a period that was really, really rubbish. And I did struggle with it mentally for X, Y, Z reasons. And I didn't make the right choices with this. And I broke up with my boyfriend or partner or whatever had happened. And, you know, they, everybody seems to have had a little bit of a rocky ride out of sport, but I kind of wanted as much as possible to understand um, what that process was going to look like for me. Um, not, not to kind of, you know, make myself fear it, but just to be as prepared as possible when I, when I finally did stop. Um, and I think I kind of separated transition into everybody lumps transition into one big thing. And the, in my, in my mind, where a lot of athletes go wrong is they think the biggest challenge is going to be finding a job. Um, and there, there are a number of practical aspects to transition and that's things like recognising our transferable skills and how we can apply them to other industries. You know, I was 27 years old and I'd never written a CV. I'd never had an interview. Um, I'd never worked in any other industry than sports. Um, so there were pr- practical challenges to it. But if you're savvy enough, you can look up the answers to those on Google. You know, you can get templates through on uh, online and, and you can prepare for that much much you know more easily um so there was the practical side of things which actually didn't scare me too much I didn't feel too worried about it um and then it was the emotional side of transition that I think athletes it's much harder to prepare for and athletes often don't actually consider it um and I think I'd considered it but I also you don't know which of those emotions you're going to have 
Um, and it did seem like for me, it was quite a strange mix and they didn't, they didn't necessarily make any logical sense. Um, you know, one day I'd wake up feeling incredibly proud of all of my achievements and the next day I'd feel, wake up feeling incredibly guilty that I'd, you know, I would, I was still healthy. I wasn't injured, but I'd still stopped, you know, I had this talent in the pool and I'd made the decision to stop. And I was like, that's wasted. That's wasted talent. I should feel bad about that. So it was this very conflicting, you know, range of emotions that is very difficult to prepare for because it's such, it's such an individual thing. I think every athlete will be very different with that. So, um, yeah, I, I guess I'd, in terms of your, your question, I prepared fairly well from a practical sense, just in that I was actively networking. I was actively speaking to people in different industries, not necessarily to say, can you give me a job? But just to say, I want to explore options. You are successful in this. Can we sit down and have a coffee? Um, and I was quite open and proactive about doing that. Um, the emotional side of things was much harder. And in retrospect, would you have done anything differently for that? Because I'm sensing almost a, a conflict in your voice around well, I was focused on what I was doing. And so head down on concentrate, concentrating on maximising the, the back end of your career. And if you're getting overly distracted with something else beyond that, then you're perhaps not being fully present and attentive to, and enjoying the moment. Yes. And that is, I think that is the internal conflict that lots of athletes have and lots of coaches have. Um, I think there has been a lot of research done recently to say that actually athletes who do have a more you know, balanced lifestyle and they do have other interests tend to be the ones that um, do better because they don't, you know, their their whole world is not just how fast they can run or how fast they can swim or how far they can throw a javelin. Um, they understand that they are, you know, they are much bigger than just their results on a scoreboard. Whereas actually, if all you've got is swimming and for a lot of my career, that, that was all that I had. If all that you've got is swimming and, and you know, you're defined by your successes and failures in your sport, then the the anxiety and stress going into competitions is is huge because the consequences of underperformance are not just, you know, how fast I can spin my arms backwards on any given day, but it's a reflection of me. Um, so actually, if you can start to extend your identity beyond you as a sports person, I say, I think that's an incredibly healthy thing to do. Um, and I definitely didn't always get that right. And it's, it's, it's really difficult because I think there is, there is a bit of a stigma in sport amongst athletes and coaches. This is a high focus environment. It is an environment where the, the logical thought is let's give this a hundred percent. There's no point in me training for four years to swim a two minute race if I've not given absolutely every waking second to preparing for this, to training for this, to thinking about this. You know, if I've spent six hours or eight hours or 12 hours a week thinking about something else, then how can I in good faith stand up at the Olympic Games and say I've done everything possible? Um, but actually looking at it, you know, and, and knowing athletes who have done that and not done that, it that's actually not true at all. Um, and most athletes who do do the kind of 100% in, this is all I care about, um, tend to be a bit miserable mm. and tend to struggle a lot more with, with mental health because they don't see themselves as being anything other than, um, you know, than an athlete, than somebody who's, who's capable of, of performing in that sense. Mm. And it can be very difficult to um, extend your personality beyond 
beyond that and think think yourself as having any worth beyond your performance in a pool or on a track or on a pitch mm. um so it, it's interesting i mean i think it, it's moving in the right direction with elite sport there's a lot more kind of encouraging athletes to actually think about what they're interested in think about who they are beyond their performance um and it, it is a unique environment there are many other careers where you know at some point you will just have to give up and move on completely you know most other careers unless something significant happens you you continue on the career path you might pivot in a slightly different direction but you know every athlete has to come to the end of their journey at some point um and actually if you can recognize that and be prepared for it then I think you tend to have a lot more a lot less stress around those major competitions because you know that this isn't the end of the world for you. Yeah, so you, you mentioned the research there. And I, I don't know whether it's the um, research work that David Lavalley's group has, has put together. But, and, and when I read that and, and heard about that, that other part of your life that you're nurturing beyond your competitive sport. And I remember many conversations I've had with athletes and when you could hear them perhaps spiralling into obsession or, or I need to do this set what am I expected to do if how do I maximize this if I don't do that that tiny little thing it's not going to nudge the dominoes in the right direction and and they say what do you think I should do and probably the best answer is go and have a pizza go and yeah. watch a film go and have a walk uh, that just yeah. just is almost like a prescription of do something else yeah, yeah. because I'm just hearing almost from a scientific point of view uh, rising cortisol stress levels yeah yeah which ebb away from somebody adapting yeah, and improving yeah. yeah yeah absolutely um and i i think i completely agree you know having some kind of some way of decompressing from that was is is really really important um i think yeah as i said the, the challenge is it's a world where we're driven by marginal gains and if you think that you can, you know, make those tiny, tiny fingernail improvements, point one of a second, microseconds, milliseconds um, of of improvement, you, you're going to do it because that makes all the difference at the end of the day. So if you, it, it seems logical to say, no, I'm not going to spend this weekend relaxing with friends. I'm going to spend it analysing results and of me and my competitors. It seems logical to 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 do everything possible. But actually, it's probably going to have a detrimental impact on, you know, your psychological state going forward. I mean, I think some athletes can get away with it. I think some athletes can get away with it longer than others in that kind of, you know, high, high tuned state. Um, and I think, yeah, so some athletes get get the balance right um, and, and others don't. And for some athletes, that's the, you know, the end of them to, to when they get too deep into into that. Um, but I think it's it is going in the right direction. It's just it's a it's a cultural shift between athletes and and performance staff as well, um, and it, and those kind of things don't happen super quickly. So, oh, I suppose the, the the original question wasn't necessarily so much about you know what would you uh, would you have focused more, but the melee of thoughts and emotions that you're experiencing. I'm almost wondering, is that something you can anticipate how that's going to go or whether it's actually better to make sure that we've got an adequate support system in place for that so that we don't know how this is going to go for you, but we're going to be there. So I, I think um, 
a little bit of both. The support network is absolutely crucial. It's one of the things that we really struggle with in, in sport. Um, and, and the way that the system is set up at the moment, that that support ends far too quickly for most athletes. If you're not a funded athlete or if you're not in a funded program at the end of your career, which I wasn't, you technically have no support. Um, and I kind of made my own support and and I still had had the number, luckily for me, still had the numbers of a couple of the performance lifestyle advisors that I'd worked with over the course of my career. Um, and I think, you know, they're the kind of people that would never turn, turn away an athlete. But technically I wasn't on their books. Technically that was, you know, in their own time that they were supporting me. And actually we probably need a more robust system of, of supporting athletes once um, once they do transition out of sport. Uh, and it's always going to be a challenge in terms of resources. Those athletes are no longer contributing to performance objectives. They're no longer winning medals. So it's very difficult to justify diverting resources away from, you know, crucial performance aims towards athletes to support them coming out but we absolutely have a duty of care to to support those people who have given so much for their country and you know inspired people and and have have achieved so much over however many years to help them transition successfully into other other arenas um, and I think in terms of preparing athletes for that emotional side of things I, I, I think it would be very very difficult to accurately forecast you know the 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 kind of way that an athlete is going to go through that phase. Um, and it depends, you know, it, a whole host of factors will have an influence on those things. Your support network outside of sport, your um, opportunities, your education, um, the the industry that you're interested in going into, your partner, you know, it's very difficult to kind of, um, yeah, to to write something that, pre- that predicts that accurately, I think. But I think what I would have liked is for somebody to say, these are some of the things that you might feel and it ranges all the way from being incredibly excited giddy proud kind of you know feeling pretty kind of crazy and good about what's coming up all the way down to this is the end for me um and it i think it would be some it would be good for somebody to outline those emotions with a kind of caveat of it's normal to feel all of these things and it doesn't necessarily need to link in with you know what you're logically doing in your life at that time you might have just you know won a bid or got a job interview and still be feeling some of these really negative ones and it doesn't necessarily link we like we like links in sport we like to be able to predict things we like graphs that show our direction and our progression and as athletes we're kind of trained to look for that um and and transition just throws that out of the water because it, it's unpredictable completely unpredictable so i think for me it probably would have just been good to have somebody say like if you feel guilty about this that's not abnormal if you feel complete cognitive dissonance from what you're doing to what you're feeling that's not abnormal um if you feel like you've lost somebody close to you that's not abnormal because nobody really says that um and that you you gain it you you gauge it a little bit from talking to other athletes but again for somebody just to kind of map out this the uh, spectrum of emotion that might might be felt during transition I think that would be helpful for most athletes Uh, not in a fear setting kind of way I mean that's the other risk isn't it because we don't want athletes you know fearing coming out but we also want them to be prepared for it I want to ask you about that but 
Um, just just to give the necessary recognition there, you mentioned performance lifestyle and uh, a hat tip to Jane Morsley for putting us in into contact. Um, <clears throat> it almost feels as though uh, you're, you'd be searching for either that advice or a mentor. And as an ex-athlete, it feels to a certain extent as if you're you're acting as a mentor, almost like in a pub, quite a public, published way of, I mean, your phrase there about uh, these are some of the things that you might feel you have expressed. These are some of the things I have felt and I'm still wrestling with this. Yeah. I'm still, I'm still trying to find my way through that. And as the word that you kept using there, it feels as though it, that's helping others understand that that's a normal response. Yeah. Um, and um, I'm keen to ask you, because this perhaps isn't going to be for everybody, but I'm keen to ask you what compelled you to write and what that gave you. Um, I think a, a few different reasons. I think, first of all, you know, sport's incredibly challenging, both physically and mentally, but there often isn't a huge amount of creativity involved in sport. And I've started to realise that I'm quite a creative person. Like to scratch the itch for me is to to write or to draw or to design or to do something that's creative and problem solving and in a thinking space. So part of it was just the fact that I've always enjoyed writing. Um, and I, you know, I've done a, various bits of writing over the course of my career, but but it's been more about you know this is how training's going or writing a kind of column for for a newspaper about preparing for a competition as opposed to hey I can write about whatever I want um, and the thought of doing that was quite exciting um, I named the blog how to be a real person which was all about kind of understanding that I've come from this very unique environment but actually the reason I called it that was to give me scope to write about whatever I wanted to really um, you know anything that came to me in in either from you know reflections or um kind of observations of the world of sport but also anything that I've you know found as a challenge kind of going into into other arenas um the second thing was was definitely processing for me it helped an awful lot to put those things down on paper um and and it it would have helped even if I'd just written them down and kept them to myself it helped even more to have other people, um, not just from a sporting world, but other people say, I relate 100% to that. And I had some really interesting conversations with other athletes who had also retired fairly, you know, fairly recently, either just before me or just after me, um, who said, kind of, you've put into words my exact experiences of transition, but I've never been able to articulate it. And for me, that was quite, it was it was interesting in a sense. I guess it, it helped me feel like I wasn't abnormal in what I was going through. Um, but it was also interesting that they too didn't have words for what they were going through. Um, and I felt like it started to become a bit of a thing of can I actually articulate this so that people understand it, so that hopefully we can help more athletes in the future with this. Um, so that was that was kind of the the motivation uh, for it. But it was definitely a bit of a cathartic process for me to just get things down on paper. Um, 
both in terms of reflecting back on my career um, and and also, you know, looking forward to the future as well. So, yeah, it was one of the things that I found particularly interesting was that were those people who came from what I thought to be very, very different industries, but who had also navigated some kind of major change in their in their lives and said, you know, the, the human struggle here is universal and we've, we've experienced exactly what you've just said, um, which was yeah interesting to me. Yeah, in that sense that that most professionals, most people will go through some sort of major change or transition, whether it's moving away from the home for the first time or maybe going from team member to leader and experiencing that sense of, oh, I've now, I'm now out of my comfort zone. What got me there hasn't necessarily is going to serve me well in the future. And, and, you know, some of the topics that you've blogged about, self-talk, identity, reframing failure, role models, authenticity, they seem to relate to the, the whole spectrum of life experience, not just necessarily for, for athletes. Yeah, definitely. And that, that's been a huge motivation for now. I do a lot of work in either with young athletes or um, in businesses as well, just looking at some of those topics because I realized that my experiences in sport and actually the, some of the systems and habits that I learned through sport are very relevant to other people. Um, and maybe we learn them a little bit better in sport because we have to be self-aware enough to know where our weaknesses are, to be very honest and vulnerable with ourselves. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to perform. But um, that, that's been part of my motivation has been exactly that, realizing that those things are very universal, universal to people in in lots of different stages of their career, um, and and hopefully I can you know go some way to 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 help people I guess uh, create and develop their own systems and habits that that help improve their their chances of success, but not just success in a performance and output of work kind of way, but success in, you know, health and well-being and value of relationships and you know their overall success as a human being I guess. So you put a uh, note out uh, a few weeks ago, 22nd of of January. Birthday, birthday post. Your birthday, <laughs> birthday post. It was, it was really sobering. It was really emotive, it was empathic and, um, and quite a reflective piece. But um, I suppose you've, we've captured the big essence of it. But one, one sentence that you put in there about, I'm okay. Um, I'm okay now. Uh what does that mean? How does that, how do you know? <laughs> and what's kind of got you to that place? What's helped you get there? Um, I think a, a huge part of it for me has been confidence. Um, so when I, I left sport, I, you know, I, I knew that I should be a fairly capable human being, but I actually had no proof that I was in anything other than spinning my arms backwards. Um, so I did lack, I felt like I lacked a huge amount of confidence to go into any other kind of environment. And, you know, why am I justified to come and talk to you guys about this? Why am I, why should I be in this role on this board sitting here giving this advice? And I think I was in a very kind of fake it till you make it kind of place in terms of confidence because I was outwardly projecting, you know, confidence, but, but inwardly was, you know, <laughs> crippled with self doubt um, about where, where my skill set lay. Very difficult to gauge 
how you were progressing in any given thing. Um, sports are a world of statistics and rankings and you're continually be give, being given feedback on how fast you are, how powerful you are. So you know where how, you stand Absolutely, on a how basis. fit you are, how lean you are. You know, you, you're, you're, your level of self-awareness as an athlete is is beyond anything that, you know, I think anybody has anywhere um, be, because it has to be. Whereas actually... I didn't know where I stood anywhere else. I didn't know where I was in the world rankings of public speaking. I didn't know how I was progressing or how I should be progressing in my board member skills. Um, and, and I found that incredibly alienating and daunting to not have, you know, that constant feedback and knowing how I was doing. Um, and that obviously with the, you know, I was, I was looking for feedback to reassure me that I was good at things. I was looking for, um, you know, other people, external feedback that I was doing okay. And you don't always get that in other environments. You don't always get that in corporate environments. Um, You don't always believe it in the same way that you would from a stopwatch because you go and speak to a person and say, how was that talk for you? And they go, yeah, yeah, it was great. Everything we were looking for. And you're like, you know, how, how much do you read into that kind of thing? That's not constructive for me as an athlete. Um, so I think part of it was just time, was just um, actually starting to just push myself out of my comfort zone and go and do other things and realising like, hey, I'm okay. And yes, there's room for improvement and things, but actually the room for improvement is quite exciting because I was in a world where the increments that I was making in my event were minuscule. You know, I was training for years for 0.1 of a second or to be a tiny bit stronger in the gym or whatever it was. Um, And actually suddenly, yeah, it might be, you know, in one sense you can, you could look at it and say, oh, this is a bit crap because I'm not top 10 in the world at all of these other skills that I'm doing. But in another sense, it was like the, the scope for improvement was really exciting and you do see progression in, in, in other areas. And that's actually, you know, actually something that's really cool. Um, so, and so, I, so that's, you're not necessarily judging yourself but compared with others, but you're experiencing deep personal growth in that sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think for me, it was about flipping the switch away from relying on that external feedback that I was, that I always had, whether it's from a stopwatch, whether it's from, you know, the weights in the gym, whether it's from a scoreboard that I'd always had around me telling me how I was doing to actually generating that myself. But to do that, I had to create new strategies because I didn't have any strategies. When I was an athlete, I didn't sit down with myself and assess all my times from the week and say, you know, these these are, or, or if I did, I was still using the external feedback from it. There was never a point where I just sat down and said, how do I think I'm doing? Without any stopwatch, without any scoreboard, how do I think I'm doing? And that was suddenly the space that I found myself in. I suddenly had to do that by myself. I had to figure that out, you know, just through my own processing of events and give myself feedback and give myself objectives and goals to work towards. Um, so I think part of it for me was just just time processing and creating that system um, and, and the strategies around that and how that looked like in terms of, you know, the framework around my routine and how I gave myself space to do that. Um and and I, and I think, you know, going back to the, the point earlier, again, it was a huge part for me was really being able to shift my mindset away from these are all the things that you're missing out on, comparing myself to all these cool things that were in sport that I felt like I was missing out on towards these are all the amazing things that you have to look forward to. 
And that was a really, really big shift. Um, and in terms of your question about how did I know that I was okay? And I, I'm, you know, I'm not a hundred percent there. Absolutely not a hundred percent there. And I still have, still have days where I find it really challenging. You know, as an Olympic games is coming up this summer. It's challenging to think about not being on the team to go, you know, to, to go and compete in Tokyo. It looks like it's going to be an incredible games. And there are still times where I have that little doubt that says, you know, you should be there, you should go. Um, but I think for me, it was about starting to see, um, starting to feel a bit more confident in my, in my routine, in what I was doing, in, in being okay with not having, you know, the security. I don't have a, a, a nine to five job. And at first that was pretty scary. And now it's exciting. I have autonomy over my career. Um, and, and just starting to see that I have more good days than bad days now. Um, and I think that was probably the, the biggest thing for me. I have more, more days where I think, yeah, I'm really excited about something than I do saying, oh, I miss swimming. I miss this. I miss that. Um, so yeah, I guess the balance shifted. I think, I think nearly every athlete that I've worked with over the years who's retired and then a big games has come up they've said to me do you think I could do you think I could make it back do you think I could compete at that level and for some you go yeah maybe yeah but not many <laughs> mm. the, the time is right you, you you'd feel it in that sense yeah definitely and so what happened did you 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 sort of fake it until you make it and until you realize uh everyone's faking it <laughs> and so you're not yeah, renormalizing yeah, yeah definitely yeah and 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 understanding that you know the I think I was looking for parallels um, in other, you know, other areas or other environments to sport. So I was looking for essentially a scoreboard to be able to rank myself and judge myself in other areas. And it, and it was a bit of a realisation to, to kind of understand that the rest of life is not like sport. Um, and you can't do that in the same way as, as you did in sport. And, and you, you have a bit more definition on on what constitutes a successful day and what you know what what are you looking for in terms of success i i didn't i didn't have a definition of what success meant to me does success mean earning a lot of money does success mean having a you know getting promoted into a higher role does success mean having a tangible measurable impact on other people in a positive way does success mean being happy, not doing any of those things, but being happy each day. And I had no measure of what, you know, in sport, you you have such a clear measure of what success looks like. Am I getting better? Am I getting faster? Am I getting stronger? Am I getting more powerful? But in, you know, what, what, what was my definition of success elsewhere? And actually, I was looking for a similar kind of, I need to be getting better. I need to be getting, you know, higher paid gigs. I need to be getting bigger roles and, and more publicity. And actually, my definition of success has start, you know, has, has changed. And actually, it's, you know, it's a balance of those things now. I need to earn enough so that I, you know, aren't, I'm not stressed about money and that I have balance in the rest of my life. But other than that, I'm not particularly interested in going and doing a 90 hour work week just to earn a ridiculous amount of money. Um, I, I, I want to be learning and challenging myself in a role more than I want the, the recognition of being, you know, a, a manager or a senior or whatever it is that, that displays outwardly to society that I'm successful. Um, I want to be impacting people in a positive way. I want to feel like I have balance with my life. Um, but it took a bit of time to work around that because when I stopped, I was like, well, where's the scoreboard? Like, 
get me to a scoreboard and show me where I am and show me how I can get up to the next level. But that's the rat race. <laughs> and I don't want to be part of the rat race. <laughs> so you've mentioned a couple of times then um, looking back and then looking forward. But so let, let's go through those. Can I ask you, what do you miss about swimming? And what don't you miss about swimming? Um, I miss, um, I miss the team environment. Um, and it's one of the things that I find a little bit challenging now with lots of the things that I'm doing is I have a a very high amount of autonomy at the moment, which is really good. And I like being able to dictate my diary, but I don't have work colleagues in the same way that I had a team at training. And if people, you know, people who know me, I'm kind of the joker of the pack. Like I'm the one who will come in and try and make people laugh, try and, you know, try and be that person that that's a kind of positive person in a group. And actually a lot of my interactions with, with people now are professional. Um, and I have to be professional in, in certain roles and I miss being the kind of laid back, chilled out person, um, in a, in a team environment. Luckily for me, that's something that's easily, you know, easy to replicate. And the, there's, there's definitely not, you know, a sense that I can't find that again, that I absolutely can. I'm just at this stage at the moment where I'm still exploring so many options that I'm, I'm a bit reluctant, I guess, to settle on one that has me in an office three days a week or five days a week. So, um, I, yeah, I miss, I miss that. Um, there's a certain, there's a, a very unique feeling to knowing that you're doing something that nobody else can do or hardly anybody else can do, knowing that you are operating at a bit of a different level, um, knowing that you are, you know, amongst the top 10 in the world at, at a certain thing. Um, I, I guess again and again, yeah, that relates a little bit to, to go into those major games, the, the, the mix of emotions when you go to a major game where it's, you know, you're excited, you're, how will I swim? How will I, you know, I've done all this training, but I, I don't know quite know what the outcome's going to be. It's a very kind of unique feeling going into that environment. So it's sometimes a bit strange to, to feel like I'll never have that again. Um, or I won't have it in the same way as, as before. Um, so I think they would probably be the, the key things that I miss. It, lots of people say they, they miss kind of challenging themselves physically, which I, I sometimes do, but I, I, I find I can replicate that fairly easily in a, in a, in a different environment. But, you know, I, I can go on a, a two or three hour bike ride from my, my home where I work just as hard as, as I did in some of my swimming sessions. So that's not something that I necessarily, um, feel like I'm missing out on too much. Um, what do I not miss? Was that the question? Yeah. What do I, yeah, what do I not miss? Back, because I guess that's part of it is of, of thinking, well, that's done now, but these are the things that I'm, I, I'm yeah. It, yeah. Over. When, when, interestingly, when I, when I stopped, one of the biggest things that I missed was the routine. So one of the, in the lead up to, to retiring, the thought of not having somebody telling me where to be, what to do, when to eat, what to eat, when to recover, how to recover, when to have your time off, when the competition is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, was the thought of it was so liberating and exciting in the lead up to, to retirement. And actually when it came to it, it's incredibly daunting to not have a schedule emailed to you, you know, 
at the weekend for the following week, telling you where all your appointments are, your nutritional plan, your competition schedule, the micro cycle, the macro cycle, all of that planning. Um, and it was something that I, I missed hugely because suddenly I had these empty months and I was like, how, how do I fill them? How, you know, what, what do I do? How do I do it? And actually that's been something that's changed hugely. And now I do not miss that at all. You know, I really, I really like having the flexibility to dictate when I take time off, when I work, you know, sometimes I work weekends and then have a Tuesday off. It's, you know, it's up to me. Um, so that's been one that's definitely shifted from, I, I really missed it to begin with. I really struggled without that. Um, and now I don't definitely don't miss it at all. Um, I guess the main, the main thing that I, that I don't miss is, is, is focusing so heavily on one thing. Um, you know, there was very little time or energy to focus on other things. It was one of the reasons I stopped. I felt like I had more to give to life and I was focusing all my time and energy on, you know, getting better at backstroke, which when I say that now, it kind of sounds slightly ridiculous. But, uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd never done lots of things that lots of my peers had done. I'd never been through the experimental teenage years of who am I and what do I want from life? I'd never had a job. Um, I, I wasn't doing creative things. I wasn't creating anything. My impact on people was hopefully positive but it was all in a fairly self-serving way of you know I'm I'm interested in self-improvement every single day that's what I'm doing when I go to the pool all I want is self-improvement and actually I was like this this has stopped being my number one value I think it's just stopped being my number one interest um and I wanted the the freedom and flexibility to explore other parts of me um doing other things so I think the, the yeah the main thing that I that I guess I don't miss is just having so much of my energy and willpower and time in a week dedicated to one thing because now I get to dictate where that goes um and I can spend it you know on a week's training camp in the Pyrenees cycling if I want to or I can spend it on writing blogs you know I I have the option to do or a combination of both (laughs) well I think you've almost anticipated or you've you've, um offered the answer to the next question which would be about it's very easy for us to focus on the negatives and that there are things that probably people will wrestle with and struggle with and find difficult. But what you've alluded to there is a whole bunch of positives about rediscovering life or having that urge almost before you finished of I've got more to give and I can't wait to explore that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that was for me, that was probably the reflection that kind of geared me towards actually stepping away from the sport. And it was still a difficult decision. As I said before, I wasn't, I wasn't injured. I wasn't in a position. I wasn't funded, but I wasn't in a position financially where I was kind of being forced out of the sport. And sometimes I think for those athletes that do have that, it, that must be really difficult, but it, it also might be a little bit easier because you've kind of not got an option. Whereas I had to kind of bite the bullet and I had to say that that's it for me, you know, uh, but with that voice still, that little voice in the back of your head saying you're, you're only two and a half years out from another games, you know, go on, just, just let's do another one. Let's go for another one. Um, so it was a really difficult decision, but, but as you said that it was that nagging voice each day or each week that said, 
is this is this all that life is? Is this all that life is? Is is getting in a swimming pool and swimming up and down and trying to be better at backstroke, or is there more to it? And you you know you've done it for so many, you've given it, you've given it a lot of your life. You know the 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 amount of years that we we have on this planet, um, you've given it a good chunk of those. And actually, that as you know, as I said, that was a kind of probably a bit of a pivot point in terms of switching away from the negative and, and towards the positive in, in the actual transition was again going from that stop missing all those good points about sport and actually stop start looking at the the exciting stuff that lies ahead because we you know we've, we have the capacity to do anything you know and that's quite exciting I've got, I've got two questions there then but let me just go for one to start off with then uh so you almost felt like you were. Uh, reflecting with a nostalgic view back to your swimming career and, and the achievements and the ground that you've covered and given yourself and being okay with it, um, as opposed to lamenting not being able to continue or pursue the next goal. Um, if you have one particular memory that springs to mind from your swimming career, what is it? Um, so I'm going to have to have two. Um, so I think... In terms of just kind of pure kind of happiness and, and just achievement was probably winning the Europeans in 2010. Um, and it was just a, it was a, a great setup. It was one of the last international competitions that we, that were held abroad. Uh, no, it's not, sorry, not abroad. Loads are abroad. That were held outside. So we were racing outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've stopped doing it because obviously, you know, with weather, unpredictable weather, you end up cancelling the competition for, for two days in the middle of it. Um, but but it was in Budapest. It was outside and it was under the sun. And uh, it was just, it was an incredible competition. I just, I loved every minute of, of being there. Obviously raced very well and was kind of crowned European champion. So in terms of just a... a an achievement that I kind of go back to, it would be, you know, standing in the sun, collecting my medal. The the crowd was kind of like rowdy. It was a bit of a party crowd. I think my parents were, you know, up in the stands drunk somewhere. Uh, but it was, it was that kind of environment. It was just, it was definitely something that I look back on and think, you know, that was, that was pretty damn cool. To, you had your friend to next be. to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, interesting. So Gemma Spofforth was, she came second in that race. And then later in the week, uh, so that was in the 200 backstroke. And later in that week, we had the 100 backstroke and we switched positions. So mm. she won and I came second. That's so we cool. kind of had it. It really was cool. really cool. It was really cool. So we both came away with it with Bond Gold, Bond Silver. Um, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a, a pretty special competition. But, um, and then uh, the reason I, I wanted a second one was for that was because the second one would be London. Um, and I think my emotions for this have changed drastically and I've still maybe changing a little bit. Go on, tell me. Um, so I think, well, I mean, I, I, I wasn't ranked to win a medal in London, but I went there absolutely with the objective of getting a medal. Um, and I think at that point in my career, my kind of definition of success and failure was probably fairly black and white. If you achieve your goal, then you've succeeded. And if you don't, then then you failed. So when I kind of looked up at the scoreboard and saw fourth place next to my name, then um, I think my first kind of thought was that I'd let myself down. My first thought was that that had been a failure. Um, and, and fourth place is widely renowned as being the absolute worst place to to finish in a race, um, you know, excruciatingly close to to getting a medal, yet ultimately you're going to be going home empty-handed. Um, and the the experience was still very 
very special in terms of London. I've been to Beijing four years earlier and I think from memory there were about, you know, five British people in the crowd clapping politely kind of thing. Uh, my parents hadn't gone because they didn't fancy a 10-hour flight for the summer holiday. Cheers, guys. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for the support. <laughs> Um, but you know London for a British athlete was just extraordinary you walk out into a stadium with 20,000 people and most of them are screaming your name like you know I was a rock star in goggles Um, so it was you know very spinning your arms backwards yeah yeah but I but I really struggled with that race for a long for a long time and I I I took um, took a big hit I think to my confidence that I'd not achieved that goal I think until that point I probably I'd never really had to navigate setback, disappointment, failure. Um, you know, I, I thought I was resilient, but I probably wasn't because I'd never really had to do that. My my trajectory of improvement had been fairly kind of linear until that point. Um, and I, I, I struggled with it. And I realised only, you know, quite a long time afterwards that if I was ever going to kind of redefine London, then I was going to have to change my definition of what it meant to succeed and what it meant to fail. Um, and I learned, I think, a couple of, you know, really crucial lessons through that journey. Um, and I talk about this a lot in kind of businesses and stuff because, it, you know, the messages absolutely kind of transcend sport into other areas of life. But the first one was all about choice. Um, and I think I was the only person who was seeing it as a failure. And I had to take responsibility for that because nobody else was saying that, you know, I'd let myself down or let them down or, um, you know, not my parents, not my friends, not the media, you know, nobody else was saying that. And yet I was choosing to obsess about what I'd missed out on, the fact that I'd not come home with the medal, instead of choosing to reflect back on the incredible achievement that it had been. Um, and as I said, I had to take responsibility for that. And I think my mindset started to shift a little bit because I realised that, um, I had, I guess I had ownership of my interpretation of events. Um, and I, I, as I said, I think this kind of transcends sport and is applicable to everybody really, because everybody has barriers and obstacles and hurdles and things in, in their life. But we also all have a choice in the way that we see them. Um, and we can kind of squirm and sulk and find excuses and blame other people, or we can accept that whatever's happening is happening and, and, and get on with it in the best way that we can. Um, and, and I think, yeah, it was, a, it was, a, it was an important lesson in, in ter- terms of kind of being in charge of your internal narrative. You've always got a choice in those situations. Um, so that was kind of the first the first lesson, I think. And I, this didn't happen quickly. This was over a, you know, a number of years after that race. And, but then and the second one, and probably more defining one, was all about confidence. Um, and this is actually something that I've only finished processing maybe I haven't finished processing yet but continue processing recently actually um because it it, I took a big hit to my confidence in that race in London and I I realized only a long time afterwards that I had absolutely been relying on that race to prove my self-worth and to to gain confidence and this went far far beyond London for me because I'd done that my whole career um I and it's it's very common with young athletes who are successful at an early age but I never developed the skills to generate my own confidence so I use the scoreboard to do it for me I look to the scoreboard to say yeah you've done a good time you've you've won the race therefore you are a good person therefore you are a worthy person so my athletic identity Lizzie the swimmer and my personal identity as the human being were inextricably linked at that point um and therefore I was entirely defined by my successes and failures um and I think I think lots of 
people kind of think that confidence is like an absence of self-doubt. Um, I think it's, I don't think that's really true. I listened to an interesting podcast with um, Annie Vernon, I think, a while ago talking about this. But and she talks about it not being a not being an absence of self doubt at all, and I don't think confident people do have an act, uh, an absence of self doubt unless you're a psychopath. Um, but I think that confidence is just like acceptance and trust that you you're already enough without external feedback that you're enough. And I didn't have the skills to do that at that point. I didn't have the skills to say I judge myself on my values and my impact on other people rather than how fast I can swim in a swimming pool. Um, and I think now reflecting back on it, you know, fourth place at the time seemed like the worst thing that could possibly happen to me in that race. Um, but it's actually probably taught me to value myself above and beyond my sporting career um, or my sporting results. And it's taught me an important lesson about um, kind of acceptance away from the affirmation of other people. Um, so interestingly, now I kind of think back and I think about, you know, we all do this with hindsight. Could you change the race kind of thing? Um, and yeah, it, it would be it would be wonderful to have an Olympic medal. Absolutely wonderful. Um, but I think it would probably be a very different person. And I would have probably had to learn that lesson at a later point in my career, which, yeah, would have been hard to do at, at that time as well. So, um, yeah, I do I talk a lot about about that journey and about that journey towards kind of self-acceptance um and as I said it's it's very common with athletes that are that are successful at a young age because you get positive feedback and you get media attention and you get people giving you high fives and you know the newspapers writing articles about you and it's very difficult to fully comprehend that your worth is not correlated to your sporting performance and I didn't separate the two and it was only it, that that was something that, you know, it was definitely a personal thing for me. I, I didn't I, my parents were brilliant and I'd never had pushy parents. They were always, you know, we love you no matter what happens. We're proud of you no matter what. So it wasn't particularly feedback from other people, but I was just internalizing the messages that I was receiving from the environment around me. And I guess I was taking in that people want to be around me. People want to people are interested in me. People want to write stories about me when I swim fast and when I don't, they don't. So, um, yeah, it was a, it was a challenging journey and I've only, I've only really kind of finished thinking about that recently actually um but it's it was definitely a a, a lesson yeah a lesson in confidence i guess that's such a powerful lesson uh, just i've got goosebumps just listening to you you know like sport can i think sport can create those goosebump moments but as much as through my career of when someone realizes something you can get those goosebumps too and that just feels such a powerful lesson but can I ask you about the race itself? You talked about ownership over the interpretation of the race. You went off hard. <laughs> I remember at the time, and then I watched it again in preparation for to, to talk to you. You went off hard, and so if you're not ranked for the for a medal, you're. It, it would appear from the outset. Correct me if I'm wrong. You are going to try and do everything you can to position yourself to try and get a medal. That was my interpretation. You were committed. Yeah, definitely. Although, actually, that that's maybe a, a kind of <laughs> a misjudgment from, from the outside, just in terms of I probably shouldn't have gone that hard. Um, and it probably bit me in the 
proverbial ass on the way home. <laughs> um, and actually, probably later on in my career, I learned, um, started to learn a few kind of psych- psychological skills about um, reining in that excitement at the beginning of races. Because, you know, you imagine jumping in the pool to begin an Olympic final race and you, you, you can barely contain yourself. But actually, you give yourself the best possible chances of success by sticking to your race plan. And the race plan probably shouldn't have been to go out that hard. It probably okay. should have been raining in a little bit, raining in a little bit, build, 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 and then still have it at the end. And I, I, I suffered a little bit at the end of that race um, because I'd gone super hard. So, um, yeah, you know, I've, the intention was there. Absolutely. It maybe didn't manifest itself in the most productive way. Um, but I don't. I don't have regrets about the race. I did the best that I could with the skills that I had, both mentally and physically at the time. Um, and and actually, you know, now looking back again, it, it, it strikes me kind of less so to do with the, the result of the race. And I know I just, we went a bit deep a minute ago on some of the lessons and stuff, but just in terms of how lucky I was to go to a home games. Mm. You know, there aren't many athletes that go to Olympic Games in, in total, but to coincide the peak of your career with a, a home games is, is something pretty special. So um, hopefully, you know, going forward and I, I do feel a lot of pride towards those Olympics and hopefully we'll continue to feel like that. Superb. Right. So last couple of quick, quick questions then. So um, 10 years, if you could go back in a time machine um, and you could leave a note for yourself to the 2010 Lizzie Simmons, what would you say to yourself? <laughs> uh, tricky. Um, probably, I probably would have left a, a note to say that there's more to you than swimming. Um, Cause I think, you know, at that point in my career, things were going really well and I was swimming well. Um, and it, it's easy to, to kind of just be buoyed by those things and to take confidence from those things. Um, but I think it would have been probably a message around starting maybe a bit earlier to think about who you are beyond, beyond sport. What makes you, you, what, what, what are your values? What are your belief systems? You know, what are the things that drive you and interest you and make you tick away from the pool because I never really did that that was always a bit of a yeah I'll do that at some point in the future you know swings for now and and I think it's difficult when you're a young athlete because you are in the 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 middle of it and it it is a a bit of a bubble and is quite an insular environment and you you can't quite picture this ever coming to an end this dream that you're living um and there's some you know trainings really tough and there are lots of hard bits as well but you are living a little bit of a dream you're getting you know you're getting paid to swim up and down all day kind of thing um so it probably would have just been a bit of a kind of a reminder i think that that those those results that are going really well don't impact your self-worth they don't make you a good person in exactly the same way that the the times that you come forth or come last or get disqualified don't make you a bad person and it sounds so stupid to say it you know we say and it's of course that is logical that that you know that's true but actually you'd be surprised how many young athletes 
hold you know hold themselves very differently after a bad race despite the fact that they've absolutely done their best with the skills that they have on the day and um yeah it's 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 heartbreaking to see but i can also relate to doing that i guess so mm. probably would have been trying to set up some kind of structure and i maybe would have pushed myself to do to do um more kind of not necessarily educational pursuits because uh, that's difficult to do when you when you're competing and some athletes manage to do it successfully and, and others don't but 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 maybe just explore interests just have a think about what what things i enjoyed doing so that it wasn't that swimming was everything that i had well you jump back in the delorean now and you go 10 years ahead so 2030 have you got a message for your future self <laughs> and this could go on all day uh, <laughs> <laughs> It's difficult to, to know where I'll be at that point. I've not thought that far ahead, but maybe just kind of keep keep being you, keep staying true to yourself. Because um, I think it's really easy for to compare ourselves to other people um, and to say, you know, I, I, I wish I had a bit of what they have there and their skill there. And, you know, we live in a world of social media where we're continually falling short of, of what we see as being perfection. And I, I think sometimes we we and i say we as as in me and myself but kind of need to take a step back and you know we i'm doing all right we're doing okay um and it's okay to to be different from that to keep you know following your path and keep being true to you um and i think i i always have a little bit of a competitive instinct of how can i how can i next prove that i'm successful or good at something um and actually when i delve deep into my values that that's largely irrelevant to me a bit like you know getting paid a lot of money and those kind of things and I think what's I don't want to reflect back and say oh yeah you know in 50 years time or whatever and say yeah I had a really you know really high earning career I want to say I went on shitload of adventures like I did some cool stuff I met some cool people um we had some experiences like I lived life my biggest fear in life is becoming one of those people who spends more time setting up an Instagram photo shoot than they do living life um you know I I I don't want to be somebody who who needs that validation from from others and I want to be somebody who's enjoying life enjoying experiences however you know in whatever form they come um and and to do that we gotta stay away from the rat race <laughs> well yeah. not necessarily some people manage to to do both but stick to what you hold dear to you as opposed to you know falling into conformity of how society tells you you should live your life I tell you what is some cool stuff, and that the fact that uh, and and what's a cool adventure is that you're sharing your adventure, and that that's a really cool thing. <laughs> so um, maybe that's full circle. And um, this has been such a rich conversation. I really appreciated that. And um, please keep doing what you're doing because it's not. And, and it's worth noting not everyone can do that. Not everyone's going to be able to blog. Not everyone's going to find the words, as you said, to be able to describe the situations. But for all those people that are tuning into that or at least aware of it at the, the very least being able to say yeah okay so there's somebody else and and, and we've talked about that normalization of of situations or the struggle or in a doubt but also the adventures that could be or reframing um that's that's amazing that you've provoked and motivated people uh in that way so thank you so much lizzie no problem thank you for having me on 
If you'd like to follow Lizzie on Twitter, you can do so at Lizzie Simmons one and on Instagram at Simo1234. Do also check out Lizzie's website, where including her blog, which is lizziesimmons.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at support underscore champs and me at Ingham underscore Steve. And subscribe through our website, supportingchampions.co.uk for the latest updates. And if you feel like supporting and championing us, then please do leave a review on iTunes. 